Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. I'd say the biggest issue, the biggest mistake, the biggest thing that people fall short on when it comes to B2B websites especially is designing for ego combined with a lack of research. What I mean by that is that when companies come to actually putting together their website copy, their messaging and the design, they're crafting it out, they're building it out for what they think looks good as opposed to what their focus client, actually the people that they want to buy their service, buy their offer or buy their software cares about. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Marketing Millennials. Today, I have Sam Dunning on the podcast. We're going to talk about some deadly sins in marketing. I'm excited to chat, Sam. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for having me on, man. Looking forward to the chat. First question I have for you is, how did you get into marketing? So mine's a bit of a funny story, actually. I, I started off in retail so I was actually in a, a store at UK shop retail line called Jessup's selling cameras and video equipment and that kind of stuff. And absolutely hated dealing with the general public, man. Like, it was not for me. Like my wife's a, a retail store manager. I have no idea how she has the patience for that. And I did that for a year or so. And then I was kind of ranting to my friends and my cousin came in the store one day and said, Sam, there's a, a job going as a salesman stroke project manager at a website and SEO company. So I had an interview and then the next day I left the retail job and that was probably 12 or 13 years ago and haven't really looked back since. So I've kind of gone from project manager, stroke seller, stroke jack of all trades around websites, SEO, digital marketing to learning the, the nuts and bolts and eventually niching down to B2B kind of service and B2B SaaS companies with who we mainly serve and started my own podcast and Kind of over time, I suppose, refined my marketing knowledge and I guess got more more and more into it. So today we're we're gonna take all that knowledge and that you had in website SEO and boil them down to some deadly sins. What is the first deadly sin of website that people should avoid? So it's it's probably a, a double hitter. I'd say the biggest issue, the biggest mistake, the biggest thing that people fall short on when it comes to B2B websites especially is designing for ego combined with a lack of research. What I mean by that is that when companies come to actually putting together their website copy, their messaging and the design, they're crafting it out, they're building it out for what they think looks good. And when I say they, I mean either the CEO, the founder, or perhaps internal teams, perhaps the marketing team themselves, they're crafting it around what they think is going to hit as opposed to what their focus client, actually the people that they want to buy their service, buy their offer or buy their software cares about. And after all, as business owners or as marketers or whatever our role in the company is, we've got a warehouse full of stuff. We've got an unlimited supply of it if we're selling software. We've got plenty of it. We don't need to sell it to ourselves. We need it to resonate and hit home with our target clients. So a lack of understanding of of target clients and designing for our own egos as opposed to building out our messaging copy and design for 
focus clients is a big one that I see so often. I mean, you've only got to go onto a technology or a SaaS or a software site and probably of the vast majority of them, 80%, you hit their homepage, you read their headline, their strap line, and it's like a cutting edge 360 all-in-one revenue platform to boost your sales this year. It's cutting edge and it's all-in-one. And you've, you've kind of scrolled through, you've read their headline, you're like, there's a lot of jargon, a lot of buzzwords here, but I'm still not sure what you do. And then you scroll down their website homepage some more. There's a lot of talk about these great features and maybe some testimonials, but you're still not quite sure exactly what they do, how the offer is going to help you, and like the problem they're going to solve. And many websites fall short because they want to talk about how great they are or how cool their product is or the awards they've won, rather than actually understanding what prospects care about when they land on your site. So that's probably the biggest mistake, and, and we can dive into kind of how you can fix that. Yeah, let's go into what is one or two things that someone could do to fix that problem. Because I see it all the time. I, I've i been in B2B for a long time. Yep. I've been to B2B conferences a long time, and you see five of the same companies saying they're number one, and that is impossible that five of the same companies <laughs> could be number one in the same space. So. Yeah, exactly. It's like, interesting. Yeah, man, like we're the number one in this vertical or – the homepage is just jammed full of G2 badges or awards or we're cutting edge or award winning. You know, you've, everyone listening's probably seen the same thing. So a lot of it is just down to a lack of, lack of research, really. So the best websites are built on rock solid research. So what they tend to do is the marketing team or whoever's working on it will interview kind of target clients, i.e. folks that fit your target persona or clients that you've very just recently onboarded. So then you can actually understand things like what are the main problems that they came to you to solve? What were the frustrations they were having around that issue? What was the, the tipping point when they realized that they needed to, to solve it? Was it like cost, costing them money? Was it costing them internal problems? Was their job on the line? Was resources being sucked up internally? And how did your offer kind of help them fix a problem? How did it help them get a job done? How did it improve your life? All that kind of good stuff. And other other things you can ask on these kind of interviews is like, how do we stack up to competitors in our space? What do you think is different about us? What was it that, that made you decide to work with us as opposed to, to other companies? So the, the reason you're doing this research is so, so you can understand your points of differentiation and problems people come to you to fix and what they actually care about. And once you do kind of, I don't know, 11, 12 interviews with these target clients, you'll start to know notice patterns. And from those patterns, people will say a lot of the same kind of words. They'll say, this, this is the common problem, and this is the common kind of job I wanted to get done, and these are the, the results you brought to the table, and this is what we care about seeing on a website in your, in your sector space. So you can leverage those patterns of feedback to understand and aid your messaging, your copy, your headlines. So when someone flicks onto your homepage, for example, putting this into a practical case is... You might have heard of it as something called the grunt test coined by a chap called Donald Miller. There's a book called Building a Story Brand. And that basically means could a caveman sitting in his cave in caveman times, could you stick a laptop in front of him while he's warming up by the fire? And could he quickly see your homepage in a couple seconds grunt exactly what you do, how your offer help, helps him, how it's going to help him improve his life or his business? And thirdly, how could he learn more? Or how could he book a call with sales or take a next step with you? If it can't do those three things to a caveman, then how the heck's it going to do that to a target prospect? 
So it's, it's all about getting your homepage headline crystal clear above the fold on what you do, how it helps and how to take the next step. And there's a bunch of frameworks that you can use for your homepage messaging. So you can go problem centric, i.e. in the proposal space, it might be, are you tired of endless back and forth of sending proposals and one click get, um, get proposed sales proposals signed off by your idle clients. Another framework is we do X to bring Y result. Another framework for homepage headlines is talking about a enemy in your space, something you hate about your sector, i.e. in the SEO space. Uh, are you tired of SEO agencies promising the earth and delivering Jack? We don't work with everyone. We talk to you first to see if we can or can help you. So there's a bunch of ways you can do it, um, but that's kind of how you can put that into play for making sure your homepage resonate, resonates in terms of the messaging. And then, of course, there's, there's other things that you want to do, including layering that with social proof so when someone scrolls, they can check out brands that you've helped, check out client testimonials, and kind of eventually flick through to learn more on the service offer and detail pages on your website, which we can dive into in a sec. I think also doing that research up front also can help get over that ego that leadership has because you can go with them with research and say, hey, these 30 customers are saying this. It's a little different than what you've been telling me. I, I'm i going straight to the sources of data. This is not my opinion. This is what customers are saying. Instead of trying to convince them with no research that this is what the homepage should be. So I think it gets over the first hump also. Hey, let's put our ego aside. Customers are saying this. Let's, let's do what our customers are saying or our buyers are saying. I like that a lot. Not only does that research aid your website and your messaging and your copy for your site, but it informs your marketing in general, right? If you're understanding the, the key juicy problems that you fix, and that's going to help your outbound messaging for cold calling or cold, out, cold email. It's going to help your ads if you're running LinkedIn ads to target personas so you know what juicy problem resonates, you know what the kind of features they care about, what jobs they want to get done. So it, it informs everything. So it's, it's, it's really, really useful for sure. Let's go into number two problem that you see deadly sin. Yep. So lack of research designing for yourself. And then we've got, I mean, another one which is pretty common and pretty easy to fix is just a slow page speed. So if you go onto a site, I don't know, perhaps you open it on your mobile or maybe your laptop on the go and you've waited a couple seconds, still not there. A few more seconds, still not there. You can maybe see part of a video or a scrolling banner and eventually kind of 10, 15 seconds left. And you, you've eventually got to the homepage. And the thing is, if someone's clicked through an ad, or maybe they found you on social, or you've been recommended to them, if your website's super slow, painfully slow to load, then it's just going to frustrate prospects. It's going to leave a bit of a sour taste in their mouth as their first experience of your brand on a, on a frustratingly slow website. And they're probably just going to bounce off to a competitor that gives them a better experience. So... There's a number of culprits that slow down websites. It thing is things like embedding a ton of video, doing a ton of animations, maybe not optimizing photos or imagery that's on the site, perhaps having tons and tons of plugins, especially things like WordPress sites where you've got endless plugins that aren't well supported or updated, perhaps not updating your platform as well if it's WordPress or similar. All these kind of things can gradually slow down your site, but there's, there's a tool called PageSpeed Insights um, there's other ones as well. And you can literally type in your URL and it gives you five to seven actionable tips that you can do to improve that page speed. And ultimately it's going to improve user experience. It's going to 
reduce bounce rates so people are going to have a better session time on your website, thus improving the, the likeliness that they convert. So that's probably the uh, another common one we see. And especially in a, word, a world where people are buying things e- the e-commerce way and they want to one-click purchase, they want things fast, they want things now. If you're slow on a, on a B2B website that is not even selling in two seconds, it's going to be screw you over if they used to these B, this B2C websites where they can just go and everything just works seamlessly. So it's the same thing for B2C, but it's just people are used to getting more and more used to speed optimization, doing things fast. There's so many choices out there, so they don't have to wait for you like 10 years ago where you were the only probably choice in the market and they could wait for your speed to be a little slower than most, but now they have 10, 15 options. That's it. That's different than you. Exactly. Let's go into number three. Um, So we have lack of research, site speed, and then we could go into number three. So next one is a bit of a controversial one something I talk about on LinkedIn a lot, but it's hiding your pricing. So many B2B companies are scared stiff to share their rates. In the SaaS space, in the tech space, in the service provider space, in other spaces too. They've even got a pricing page, which makes it even funnier. So you go onto their page, you think, okay, it's looking good. It looks like they can fix my problem. Their offer looks interesting. Flick onto the pricing page. Hey, we'd love to discuss pricing with you. Fill out this seven field form and a sales rep will be in touch to share pricing. It's like, well, I've come onto your page to get pricing to see if I can afford your offer. I don't want to sit on a 30 to 45 minute qualification call to then realize that you're just 10 times what I've budgeted. Why not just share it? So, I mean, typically in low ticket SaaS, you've got three options, right? Like a starter, 10 bucks a month, medium, 20 bucks a month maybe pro 45 bucks a month and then maybe enterprise options. But when it gets, when companies get scared to hide pricing is usually for higher ticket offers, especially for service providers in the B2B space. They'll often, their uh, argument to me will be, well, Sam, all of our offerings are custom tailored and bespoke. I'd say fine, but why not give two or three brackets? So I, I, our custom option one is 10 to 15 K that typically covers this. Option two, 15 to 25K, and option three, maybe 50K plus. And you give a couple ideas about what's included, what's not. But the good thing about a pricing page is if you look at your analytics, when you've got them up, it's often the most viewed page on the site. So not only is it a chance to qualify people in and give an idea of what bracket they might fall into, but also you can back up your claims with social proof. So you can use things like relevant customer stories and videos, tailored testimonials and make sure they've got a picture of the, the person and of course their job title and problem you fixed, how you helped, results after. What's another thing I like to do is address sales call FAQs head on. So I normally involve an FAQ section in the page, probably towards the bottom, which will quite literally answer questions and objections that we'll get on sales calls. So in my case, why are you folks so expensive for SEO? Isn't Google Ads like 10 times faster to get leads? How long does it take to get SEO results? My cousin can do it cheaper. Like literally, I'm, I'm on my FAQ pages, I'm putting these things that I get on my sales calls, addressing them head on so I don't have to waste time or my team doesn't have to waste time. So pricing pages are not only good to qualify prospects in or out, but they can build trust with those social proof elements and they can save your sales team time by handling objections and questions up front. 
Yeah, and it's funny because I've heard also a lot of people don't put pricing on because of that they think that the sales team doesn't have negotiating power if they if they put pricing on there, which is funny because it's like, don't you want your sales team to have more time to actually work with people who are actually in <laughs> your, that's a qualified buyer, not that they have to swindle their way to try to get the right price for someone. Um, it's, it's, it, and I love that FAQ um, question because you could just go ask your sales team, what are the six objections you get? And they, they can give it to you and you just put that as content on your website. Yeah, man. It's, it's that easy. Definitely. Exactly right. What are some other things that people have told you of why they high pricing and besides the things you said, what are some other things that you would tell them for not hiding pricing? Some people will say, well, Sam, that's, if we hide pricing, then we're going to get less leads come in, which is usually true. But then you've got to weigh up your time or your sales team's time, depending on the size of your business. If you're getting tons and tons of leads, but then when you look at your CRM, like the amount of go that go from initial conversation to then, I don't know, successful demo or proposal, depending on what your sales process is, to then one revenue, it's going to be substantially lower if you're hiding pricing on your website because a ton of those leads that come in will, one, not be able to afford your offer and secondly, waste the prospect's time annoying them and waste the salesperson's time. Another is looking at it from a different angle is transparency. So on my podcast, Breaking B2B, I think I've interviewed maybe 350 or so B2B marketers, execs, VPs, CMOs, etc., and from my experience, most of them want to flick onto your B2B website. They want to get a quick idea of what you do, problem you fix, how it helps. They want to see your offer in action that we'll talk about in a sec as one of the deadly sins. They want to see proof of results, case studies, testimonials, video reviews, and all that's, that kind of good stuff. They want to get answers to their questions, whether that's FAQs, resources, articles, videos, and more. They want to check pricing, check they can actually afford your offer. And then lastly, they want to easily book a time with sales which again is another deadly sin we can dive into and book time with your, your sales rep and strike up that conversation if, if you've successfully checked those boxes. So that's why I think it's almost a crime to hide your price in B2B. I'm in agreement. I think trust is the number one asset you have marketing. And if you're hiding your pricing, you're already lowering your barrier to trust if you're not going to do that. So... But, well, we've already gone with three, so lack of research, site speed, hiding, pricing. What, what is number, what's the fourth deadly sin? The next one is hiding the goods. So what I mean by that is in SaaS, in tech, in software, 99% of the time, Daniel, the call to action is get a free demo, book a demo, get your demo, some variation of get a demo, right? That is that big orange button at the top right of the website. Now... Potential clients want to try before they buy. They don't want to sit on a 30, 40, 50 minute call to get qualified and then eventually see your offer on a screen share. So with the rise of companies like Navitech and others that allow you to actually put a live tour, like a taster of your offer in action, it's almost like a, a preview of a demo where you can click around, try a few features out. So my recommendation is, is not to hide it because first of all, prospects want to check it 
try before they buy. They want to see if it's for them, if it can do what they want before they speak to a salesperson. Now, there's there's a bunch of ways you can do that. You can get an interactive demo for your site, or you can do interactive GIFs. So as people scroll through your website pages, you can have different GIFs outlying each feature. Maybe you've got videos for each specific feature, problem it fixes, or use case. Or maybe you've got another way of presenting it. So that's something that I strongly recommend. Rather than forcing everyone to have a sales conversation just to see the offer and check it can do what they want, why not give them the experience? Again, just like your pricing, it shows transparency, gives people a little flavor. And if anything, it encourages them more to want to speak to sales. Or if you're a service-based business, then it's going to be a bit different. So you might want to do things like in-depth case studies, maybe walk through video reviews of how you helped, maybe interviews of your customers of kind of why they chose you, problems you fixed, outcomes that you brought, frustrations they faced, why they recommend. Basically, as, as many examples that you can give that give people a taste for what you do and encourage them to, to strike that sales conversation is, is going to be more of an asset for you. And the, the old school way of just forcing sales calls at all costs is just not the way in B2B anymore. And I think the whole part of your job as marketing is driving demand. And demand means that they actually want to use your product, not that they like semi interested in your product. And they, when they're interested in the product, they, they want to ask a bunch of questions. I saw this feature. What does it do? Like, how do other people use this feature? Not they had to see that the demo and then you say to them oh there's no time for questions now yeah. you have to take another call to get these questions and then you're in four calls before you can get your answer a sales call should be basically you being their guide their consultant their on how you're going to help fix their problem how these features are going to do this answer any questions they have that are piping they're not supposed to come with the whole world because then marketing hasn't done their full job before they get to sales. Agreed. So lack of lack of research, site speed, hiding pricing, hiding the goods. What, let's go to number five. So this is one that's particularly ripe in the SaaS and tech space, but many B2B service companies are, are guilty of it as well. And a lot of websites in general, and it's just being too light on content. So most of us with our business, we want it to generate inbound opportunities, be it leads or demo requests for our site. And obviously a, a natural way to do that is through organic search SEO, but it's unlikely that your website is going to get a decent ranking for those juicy search terms that your ideal clients are going to be searching for when they need your offer, when they need your service, when they have problems you fix, when they're comparing you to alternatives if your website only has a couple pages, i.e. maybe home, a couple feature pages, demo page, and about us. If you've got four, five, seven pages on your website, it's just not really going to rank on Google. So a lot, of, a lot of companies, especially in the tech space, are guilty of this. When really you want to make your website, like as I often say, your website can be your best salesperson, right? It's 24, live 24-7, and it can be either be representing your company well, building trust, and converting, or it can be doing literally the opposite of that around the clock, especially if you're driving ads to it, marketing to it, and more. So back to the point, light on content, I mean, organic search, Google wants uh, a decent amount of content that's fresh, that's relevant, and that's that's going to help the, the prospect. So a lot of companies kind of neglect that, especially in the tech sector. They go super hard on things like ads, outbound sales, 
demand gen, but they neglect organic search as a, a route to market. When the truth is a lot of prospects are searching for your offer. And if you neglect SEO, then your competitors are just going to steal all that traffic and all those inbound ops. So what you've got to think about is like many things, it starts with research, understanding what those target prospects are searching on Google when they need your offer now, when they're comparing you to alternatives or when they need a service similar to yours. So you always want to start with the bottom of the funnel, i.e. those prospects most likely to, to want to speak to a sales rep now. And then you want to build out in very simple terms, as we're covering a lot on today's show, is you want to build out all those key pages for all those use cases. So if you're a service provider, building out a dedicated page for each service or offering you provide, or what likewise, if you're in the tech space, building a page for each element of your offer, and then building out a page for each use case, i.e. referring back to my business, that might be one page might be B2B SEO for SaaS companies or SEO for service-based companies or SEO for fintech companies. So I'm literally building out pages for each and every competitor, uh, each and every, sorry, use case or persona or ICP. And that's one of the, the big mistakes because a lot of companies just don't do it. And then if you're in SaaS, another quick win is to do alternatives pages. So if you're in the sales proposal space, then you want to make sure that you're building a name alternative page for every option. So Proposify alternative the other one there's the pandadoc alternative right as loads so building out your website as a useful resource that not only gives prospects information so when they land on those pages it's going to say look hey we fixed this problem this is how we do it this is how we're going to help them get the job done these are some answers to your questions and this is actually our offer in action so if you want to try it or book a demo you can a quick way to actually build content that ranks very very simple technique is once you've determined the keyword that you want that specific page that you're building out to rank, you literally type into Google, you check what is number one in organic search, you look at the ways that they formatted their page, and you make notes on each and every way that you can one-up this page, that you can pass this page in every way possible. It could be depth of content. It could be putting more case studies. It could be using unique data points. Maybe you've got surveys. Maybe you've got reviews and analytics that they don't have. Uh, maybe you do a bigger FAQ section. Um, so for an example... When I was at WebChoice, when I wanted to rank for B2B SEO company, I literally just typed into Google, looked at the competitor that was organic search, and then just made an FAQ section that was 10 times as big as the current number one, and literally just took all the questions that I get on sales calls, made the biggest FAQ section ever, plus covered a bunch of other useful topics above that. And three weeks later, I was, I was organic page one and started getting a steady flow of inbound leads. So it's it's not that hard to rank on Google once you've got some domain authority and once you're building pages for buyers. But a lot of companies, sadly, start with blog articles, um, start answering prospect questions, and those don't generally drive bottom of the funnel high quality leads. It's the service pages, the offer pages, the alternative pages, the integration pages that are going to drive those bottom of the funnel sales calls. That's something that a lot of companies are just too light on on their content. The whole point of Google now is capturing demand that's coming in mm -hmm. to for buying because people are searching for things that they're trying to buy or trying to answer questions. So they're really kind of in the research phase. That type of content, blog content, is more normally attention-based content, trying to get people to build expertise, which is great. But if you don't have the first part, which is helping them decide whether to go with your product or not, it's harder to get, then the tension doesn't even matter because you've got to drive them somewhere.
And if you're driving them to nothing, it's not going to work. So, yep, that's it. So the first five we we cover lack of lack of research, high speed, hiding pricing, hiding the goods, light on content. What's number six? We've kind of covered this now, but zero proof. So social proof, I've mentioned it a bit, but I think you should look to weave in social proof on all relevant pages, naturally on your homepage. Like the typical B2B tech homepage flow is what we call hero area above the fold or banner area where you've got your headline, got your value prop. Then you've probably got a bar with, these are some of the logos that we've helped, like trusted by X amount of tech or service companies. Then you've probably got some feature cases or use cases. Then you maybe got some video reviews. But the thing with social proof is weave it into nearly all your pages where you can, be it video reviews, be it testimonials. Make sure you're weaving in the prospect's picture or video or whatever you can to make it relatable and make it kind of more human and make it more trustworthy. But make it tailored. So if you've talked about a feature and weave in a piece of social proof, whether that's a testimonial review video, whatever, that's relevant to that feature or that problem that you're talking about fixing, so make it relevant, use a lot of it, and use it to back up your claims. So when you're claiming that you can do something, why not put a nice piece of media that's one of your customers talking about it to kind of strengthen that cause? So it's just something that a lot of companies do it, but a lot of websites' testimonials are generic. And it kind of looks like if you copy and pasted this website from one tech company to another tech company, could you tell the difference and would you believe it? that's quite a good stress test like is this social proof believable and is it relatable and is it tailored to the use case so that's quite a simple one yeah i think everybody just does oh i need social proof but they don't understand social proof has a reason to convince it's 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 basically a review on something that they want to see that's what it's like amazon reviews so you can't just be like, oh, I, this person saying I love the product doesn't always, it has to say why they love the product, what problem it fix, what feature do they like the most, all the good stuff um, that helps me make a better buying decision. <laughs> we'll go to the final deadly sin. What is the final deadly sin? So we'll round off with this. We've talked a bit about kind of messaging. We talked a bit about design. We talked about pages, SEO, and then we want, the prospect ultimately most websites want to drive sales leads so we want to make it super easy for prospects to book a call with our sales team so we want clear call to actions usually your, your cta is fixed right in the top right of your menu bar whether that's request a speak to a sales engineer or book a tailored demo or take your tour whatever's relevant and then that will link through to a page so i recommend naturally installing a calendar software so i think it's time to get rid of the contact inquiry forms with the endless back and forth on email where you request to speak to sales and sdr sends you 10 questions via email three days later and then you reply then two days later they send you a link then you go back and forth back and forth so just just get a scheduling tool be it calendly be it chili piper be it revenue hero whatever get that set up and when people are booking those calls route them through to someone that can guide them and address their problems and actually answer their questions effectively. So rather than routing them through to an SDR, route them through to a knowledgeable AE or an engineer or someone that can actually kind of give them the information that they want. Um, Because after all, if you're sending them to someone that can't cover kind of half the questions they've got, it's just going to frustrate prospects, give them a bad taste in their mouth about your offer. A lot of what I talk about with websites is just making it trustworthy, making it a useful asset, making it your best salesperson and making your sales team's life easy 
by feeding them good quality leads that understand what you do and how you help and answer their questions up front. So then by the time they book that call, they're halfway there to doing business with you. I always say that the whole goal of the website is making it easier for your buyers to buy, not easiest for your sellers to sell. It needs to be frictionless, that process of how they book a demo, how they go through your website. It needs to be like with the site speed, everything you said, like makes it simple, frictionless, makes it easier to buy for the buyer. So it's the decision is their research is really done before they get to sales. Now they're just asking the little last questions of like you go to a sales facility and like, what sizes do you have? Does it do this? Does it do that? What's the leather? Like, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's asking all those last questions to make sure they they can answer those questions for you. Yeah, that's it. And last question I have for you is, what is a marketing hill you would die on? It's a mix of two, which is a bit cheeky. It's an experimentation slash practicing what you preach. So I see it time and time again, especially marketers, right? They want to get buy-in from maybe their exec team or their founder, whoever runs the biz. But they're sometimes too scared to do it and they won't get budget authorized from higher up execs. So I'm always of the opinion of it's better to seek forgiveness afterwards than initially seek permission. Obviously, I can get away with stuff. I'm a founder, so I can just pretty much do what I want with an extent. But when you're working in an organization, I think if you want to do something, just start making it happen yourself. So if you're thinking about a podcast, great. Put a plan together, start recording some episodes. Do you want to do it as an ABM play? Interviewing ideal clients and building relationships and eventually working with them? Great. Make a list of 10 on LinkedIn, reach out to them, get it booked, do it off your own back, record it on Zoom. Once you start getting some traction, you build out the episode, show your exec team. They're going to think, holy shit, this person's actually doing stuff off their own back. I'm impressed with what they've put together and make it happen. And further up the ladder... That might be, I don't know, building out your own email list, building out your own show, building out your own, I don't know, hobbyist article site, building out your own YouTube channel, whatever. But experiment with things. Like a big One of the most fun things that I do as a marketer is kind of trying things out on my podcast, on my YouTube, doing experiments on LinkedIn, doing experiments with SEO to see if I can rank article pages above super authoritative sites like one of outranked Salesforce and various other huge companies with kind of really niche and specific pages. I mean, this stuff is fun but it can also have really big impacts on your career. So I think, uh, yeah, experimentation and kind of doing stuff off your own back will get you quite far. Marketing is just a bunch of little experiments to find things. Nobody always has the answer. Nobody understands. If if it was that easy, then there'll be a lot of great companies out there, but it's not that easy. So uh, um, lastly, where can people find you and what you're doing? Yeah, yeah. So if, if you've... If you're still awake through my website and SEO rambling, so you can follow me on LinkedIn, Sam Dunning. I, I share daily tips on SEO and, and websites for B2B companies. I run a podcast a bit like this one. So we share actionable and no BS solo episodes and guest interviews. That's called Breaking B2B. Or if you're maybe a, a little bit frustrated that your website isn't driving a steady flow of qualified sales leads or competitors are constantly ahead of you on organic search on Google, then we can fix that with our unusual approach to SEO and web design. It's breaking b2b.com awesome well go follow sam he just gave you seven deadly sins but i bet you he can give you 30 deadly sins of not to do on the website thank you so much for coming on the pod and sharing your knowledge and i really appreciate it 
Thanks, man. It was fun. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.